Amen. Well, please take your Bibles. We're in the book of 1 Thessalonians this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verses 6 through 13. Our message series is called Lessons from a Growing Church. We're uh, now about halfway through uh, 1 Thessalonians, which means we're halfway through our message series also. And uh, we've uh, learned a number of lessons from the church of Thessalonica already. We've learned the importance of the gospel in the church and, and our response to the gospel. We've looked at a model for ministry. We've learned how to listen to a sermon. Uh, last week, we looked at the special relationships we have with one another in the body of Christ. And uh, today, we continue with that theme as we look at the importance of spiritual growth as believers in the church. Spiritual growth, not being content to stay in one place, but growing in our faith growing in Christ. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and I'm just going to read verses 6 through 8 as we begin this morning. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, as we look into your word this morning and we learn and talk about spiritual growth, God, I pray that you'll give us ears to hear and hearts to understand and obey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Have you ever been in a situation where you were waiting desperately for some news? News that would have a huge impact on your life one way or another. Perhaps you were waiting for test results from the hospital, or perhaps you were waiting to hear back from someone concerning a relationship. Uh, Perhaps your child had traveled the distance to Europe and you're waiting for that phone call to see if they made it safely to their destination. I want you to take a moment and think about a situation where you were waiting for some important news. And when you're waiting uh, for news like that, it's really hard to concentrate on anything else, isn't it, right? It consumes your mind. You know the Bible tells you not to worry, but sometimes it's hard to just let go and let God. Have you ever been there? Do you know what that's like, right? And you keep asking, well, what if, or or, or what if, or or what if, and you try to turn it off, but all these crazy possibilities just keep crashing in on you. You know, that is when you are primed and ready to receive some Good news, right? You receive the test results back and there's no malignancy. Praise the Lord. You you hear from your loved one and everything is okay. Praise God. Proverbs 25, 25 says, Like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land. There are those times when you are simply desperate for some good news. And that is exactly what Paul's situation had been right before he wrote this letter. Paul had been wondering how his friends in Thessalonica were doing. We saw last week, uh, he was so worried, he he sent uh, Timothy to find out about them, to bring back a report. And then he'd waited 
for Timothy, and he'd waited and waited for Timothy to come back. And you know how slowly time moves when you're waiting, right? And he just had to know how his friends were doing. Paul knew that they were young Christians, and he knew they started out well. News of their faith had spread quickly. The gospel had changed their lives. They were enthusiastic about sharing the gospel with others. But he also knew that they were experiencing intense persecution for their faith. Their own friends and neighbors had turned against them. And not only that, Paul knew that they had a spiritual enemy. Paul knew the reality of spiritual warfare. He said Satan had blocked him from going back to them. Well, what if the enemy had also tempted some of them? to turn away from their faith? What if the persecution was just too much for them? What if they blamed it all on Paul? He's the one who shared the gospel with them to begin with. What if, what if, what if? That's where Paul had been. And then Timothy came back. He came back from the Thessalonians and he brought with him good news. And oh, What a relief that was to Paul. And so here in chapter 3 in our verses today, Paul continues sharing very personally with the Thessalonians. Remember last week how personally he shared with them and just shares very personally, very openly, transparently his thoughts and his emotions when he received this good news. And so we're going to look at Paul's words together now and see once again what lessons we can learn uh, from his response. There's an outline in your worship guide this morning. I encourage you to take that out. Follow along, jot down some notes as we go. And our first lesson is this. We learn that we should be greatly encouraged when believers experience spiritual growth. We should be greatly encouraged when believers experience spiritual growth. Look at verses 6 through 8 with me now. Paul's writing, But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Up to this point in his letter, Paul has simply been narrating past events, but now he writes and speaks in the present tense. He says, Timothy just got here. Paul says, I'm just now writing this letter. He's telling them what he is experiencing and feeling right now as he writes. And that in itself should tell you something. Paul didn't delay. He wrote back to them immediately as soon as he heard the news. That's how excited he was about this good news that he'd received. And Paul uses an unusual word uh, for him in this context for good news here in verse 6 because it's the word we usually use for sharing the gospel, right? The gospel means good news. There's a special word the Bible uses for preaching or sharing the good news. That's the word Paul uses here. In fact, it's the only place in the entire New Testament where this word is used without reference to the gospel, And if you know Paul at all, you know how important preaching the gospel was to him. It was his whole life. And so for him to use this special word, where elsewhere he only uses it to talk about sharing the good news of Jesus, sharing the good news, for him to use that word here to describe the good news Timothy just brought him, it highlights even further how excited Paul was to hear this good report from Timothy. And what was the good news? He says, Timothy's brought me good news about your faith. And your love. The Thessalonians were standing strong in their faith. They were growing 
in their love. And now Paul addresses these in reverse order. He goes to love first. And they were certainly growing in their love for each other, but in this context, Timothy's really also talking about their love for Paul, right? We see that in verse 6. Paul writes, he's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us as we also long to see you. And so think about it. The Thessalonians had pleasant memories of Paul. What happened when Paul was there? There was a riot in the city. Uh, They were attacked. Some of them were arrested. And, and they, they look back and they, good times, Paul. We had good times with you back when you were, you know, and they, you got pleasant memories. That's amazing. Even with all of the problems and persecution that followed in Paul's wake, they did not blame Paul. They did not view him as the troublemaker. They had good memories. J.B. Phillips translates this verse, you cherish happy memories of us. And not only did they, they view Paul fondly in the past, but they also longed to see him in the present. Right? Paul says, I says, you long to see us just as we long to see you. This is that same strong word for longing we looked at last week where Paul said, I just long to see you again. Their longing to see Paul matched his longing to see them. And so Timothy brought back good news, first of all, about the Thessalonians' love. But then he also brought good news about their faith. He says, Paul, they're doing good, they're standing strong. Even in the midst of the persecution, this, this brought Paul great encouragement. Now, you've got to remember, Paul was going through a difficult time himself, right? On this particular mission trip, it seemed everywhere he went, trouble followed. He previously suffered in Philippi, then at Thessalonica, then Berea, most recently at Athens. Now he was in the city of Corinth, where he's experiencing more trouble. The persecution was so bad that God even spoke to him through a vision at night. Uh, Acts 18, 9 and 10, God spoke to him, encouraging him, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. Paul was obedient to that vision. He stayed there in Corinth for a year and a half. He was slandered. He was abused. He was brought before the court on false charges, but God continued to watch over and protect him. And you say, wow, Paul, under all that distress, all that persecution, but what's Paul focusing on? Not his problems. He says, hey, I'm encouraged about you, Thessalonians, because of your faith. First, Paul encouraged the Thessalonians by sending Timothy to them. Then they encouraged Paul uh, when they sent Timothy back with a good report. It's an example of mutual encouragement. Ministry is a two-way street. And encouragement and blessing flow both ways when we minister to each other in the body of Christ. But Paul goes even further with this because he says in verse 8, he says, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Paul's emotions run deep as he writes. It's as if he could not go on living if the Thessalonians were not standing strong. So great is his love for them. This good news about his friends, this has re- re- rejuvenated Paul. It's given him new, new life. Proverbs 15.30 says that good news gives health to the bones. And that's what Paul was experiencing. He was encouraged by their faith. He was experiencing new life and health running through him. A new lease on life. That's how important their faith was to him. He says, now we really live because you are standing firm in your faith. Notice that his focus was on their faith here rather than their love for him. I'm sure he was glad to hear that they had fond memories of him. He was glad to hear about their love for him. But what really mattered was their faith. 
And that's a good lesson for us too, isn't it? How much stock do you put in people's opinions of you? Do you care more about their love for you or their faith in God? Which matters more to you? That someone says nice things about you or is thinking nice things about you or that they're growing in their faith. Paul focused on their faith. Because if someone is growing in Christ, folks, that is good news. That is good news. I get so excited uh, around the church when I hear different things. And almost every week I hear you know, someone saying, you know, oh, Pastor, you know, I'm reading this or I'm learning this or I'm growing in this area. And, and I just love hearing that, people growing in their faith. It's good news. It's welcome news. It brings joy to my heart. So that's the first thing we can learn from Paul's attitude here is that we should be greatly encouraged when believers experience spiritual growth. Next, Paul moves on to thanksgiving and joy. Thanksgiving and joy. We should be filled with thanksgiving and joy when believers experience spiritual growth. Look at verses 9 and 10 with me now. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. So not only should we be greatly encouraged when believers experience spiritual growth, but we should also be filled with thanksgiving and joy. This is the third time now, okay, in three chapters, uh, chapter 1, chapter 2, and now chapter 3, that Paul gives thanks for for the Thessalonians. He's overflowing in thankfulness for them. And notice, who does Paul thank here? He doesn't thank the Thessalonians. Paul says, we thank God for you. Right? Paul is encouraged by their faith, but he gives thanks to God. And that teaches us something about testimonies. Testimonies should be God-focused and Christ-centered. Next month is Thanksgiving. We're going to be having our annual Thanksgiving Eve service where you will have opportunity to share testimonies of Thanksgiving to God. And before we give those testimonies, I'm going to remind you, I do it every year, about the ABCs of giving a good testimony. And I'll tell you, A stands for audible. Speak up. We want to hear what you got to say. B stands for brief. We want to hear what you've got to say, but we want to hear what other people have to say too. So you leave room for other people. And then C stands for Christ. Christ-centered. Be Christ-centered in your testimony. We do not merely give thanks. We give thanks to God in Christ for all that he's done. And that's what Paul does here. He says, we thank God for you. And then what is Paul thankful for? He says, for all the joy we have in God's presence because of you. Earlier, Paul shared about all the distress and persecution he was experiencing. Now he speaks of all the joy that he has in God's presence. Timothy's good news has brought him a fresh perspective in the midst of trial. He is thankful because he is filled with joy over the good news. Now, Paul says that we actually all owe God a debt of thanksgiving. Did you notice that? He says, how can we thank God enough? Literally, with what thanksgiving can we repay? That word repay there, it's a word that means to give something back as an equivalent. Paul is saying, what thanksgiving can we possibly give to God that matches the joy that we have in God's presence because of you? It's a rhetorical question. The, The answer is this, we can never give God enough thanksgiving. 
You cannot outgive God. We all owe God a debt of thanksgiving we never can repay. It's not as though Paul wasn't trying, because look at verse 10 where he writes this, night and day. We pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. You see, thanksgiving leads naturally into prayer. Not only should we be thankful when believers experience spiritual growth, we should engage in constant, earnest prayer for a continued ministry in their lives. Paul says, hey, I prayed night and day for you Thessalonians. Now, he doesn't mean his morning prayers and his bedtime prayers. Okay, those are good. That's not what he's talking about here. He, does, he also doesn't mean that he's, that's all he does. All I do is pray. I don't do anything else. Night and day, I just pray. I don't sleep, don't eat, don't work. No, doesn't mean that either, okay? He's talking about the frequency of his prayers throughout the day. And even at night, he was praying for the Thessalonians. And Paul not only prayed for them frequently, he also prayed for them most earnestly. It's a word that means superabundantly, exceedingly, beyond all measure. In other words, these were no half-hearted ritual prayers offered up out of habit. He didn't just simply say, okay, God, please be with the Thessalonians, check. Be with the Bereans, check. Be with the Philippians, check. On with my day. No, Paul, Paul prayed with intensity, He prayed frequently and earnestly, and yet this still was not enough to repay God for all the joy he had because of the Thessalonians' spiritual growth. You say, well, Paul, what do you pray? When you're thanking God, what do you pray him? He said, I pray this. I want to see you guys again. I want to see you again and supply what may be lacking in your faith. That word translated supply, it's a word which means to fit together, restore, to repair or mend. It was a surgical term used of setting a bone, or it was also used of repairing nets. And the the basic idea of this word is completing or improving the condition of something. In other words, not supplying something brand new, but rather shoring up what is already there. And so Paul wants to see the Thessalonians again. Why? So he can help supply or complete what may be lacking in their faith. Their faith is already there, but it needs to be shored up. And even though they were standing strong in their faith, apparently there were some gaps. There were some doctrinal gaps in what they believed. There were some ethical gaps in how they were living. In fact, starting with chapter 4 next week, okay, Paul will begin addressing some of those gaps in the second half of the letter. Paul would have preferred to do all of this in person, but Satan blocked his way from coming back, so he writes these words to him instead. Regardless of these gaps that we're going to talk about, Paul is overwhelmingly positive about the Thessalonians. They are, they're already strong in their faith. Paul just wants to see them grow more. And that's another good lesson for us as believers, isn't it? No matter how much you have grown spiritually, you always have more to go. You don't reach the finish line until you reach the finish line, okay? Until you go home to be with the Lord. And so Paul is filled with joy in the presence of God because of Timothy's good news about the Thessalonians. This joy puts him in a position of obligation. He owes God a debt of thanksgiving, which he never can repay. This, in turn, leads him to constant, earnest prayer for continued ministry among the Thessalonians so that they may experience continued spiritual growth. It's the same for us, folks. We all owe God a debt of thanksgiving. How do we seek to discharge that debt? We engage in constant, earnest prayer for continued ministry in people's lives. 
So number one, we should be greatly encouraged uh, when believers experience spiritual growth. Number two, we should be filled with thanksgiving and joy when believers experience spiritual growth. And then number three, we should never stop praying for believers' spiritual growth. Never stop praying. You know, this is one of the first prayers that I pray for our church every day. When I, when I pray for our church, first thing I pray for is spiritual growth. I say, Dear Lord, please be with our people. Help us to be growing spiritually. Help us to be growing in our faith and in our love. Now look at verses 11 through 13 with me now, where Paul prays the following. He says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. And in these last three verses, Paul stops talking about prayer and he actually begins praying in the letter, as he's writing, begins praying on behalf of his friends. Now, that's not unusual for Paul. Paul often breaks into prayer right in the middle of his letters. And I guess that happens when you're praying day and night for people, right? It's just part of his, his default position, praying. And Paul makes three prayer requests. He, he prays for new ministry opportunities. He prays for an increased love in the people. He prays for their holiness. And that's, you know, you might ask, well, how do I pray for spiritual growth for people? All three, right there. Three wonderful requests. Let's take a look at uh, each of these requests. They're all in the outline in your worship guide. First of all, pray for new ministry opportunities. Paul prayed that God would clear the way for him to return to the Thessalonians. I can almost say their name. And that phrase, clear the way, clear the way, it has to do with leveling or, or removing obstacles. Remember earlier, Paul said that it was Satan who blocked him from returning. Now he asks God to remove those obstacles, those blockages. Another important lesson, when you are dealing with a spiritual roadblock, you need God's power to remove the block for you. You're not going to do it on your own. Ask God to do that. Paul is so God-centered in everything he does in his life. Someone else at this point in the letter might simply have written, well, I hope to see you soon. And Paul is, no, Paul is is focused on God. He puts everything in God's hands. He says, I pray God will clear the way for us. And you know what? We, we learn in Acts chapter 20, guess what? Paul made it back to Thessalonica. He got back to his friends. God did clear the way for him in answer to Paul's prayers. I also want you to notice the way Paul addresses his prayer. Very important. He addresses his prayer to our God and Father and our Lord Jesus. Remember, 1 Thessalonians is one of the earliest books in the whole New Testament. This is one of the earliest examples we have of Christians praying to Jesus as well as to the Father. Isn't that beautiful? It's one of the many passages of Scripture which teach us the deity of Christ, that Jesus is God, he is the Son of God, because prayer is rightfully addressed only to God. So that's your first prayer request. You can pray when you're praying for believers' spiritual growth. Say, God, how can you use me? Pray for new ministry opportunities, new ways to serve the body of Christ to help and encourage others. Secondly, pray for increased love. Pray that people will grow in their love. Now, Paul had already commended the Thessalonians for their love in this letter. Now he prays that God would increase their love even more. You see, Paul wants them to keep growing, growing spiritually. And even though he longs to come to them himself, he knows that God is ultimately responsible for their spiritual growth. It's not him. 
And so he turns it to prayer. He prays for them. He prays that their love would increase and overflow, that they would grow in love for each other and, very important, and everyone else. You know who that everyone else includes? Their friends, neighbors, their enemies who are persecuting them. See, even though we may have a special love for each other as Christians in the body of Christ, we are to love everyone, uh, even our enemies, with the love of Christ. How do you pray for spiritual growth? Say, Lord, how can you use me? Pray for new ministry opportunities. Pray for increased love. Lord, increase your love in this person's life. And then finally, number three, pray for holiness. That's what Paul prays in verse 13. That's his whole purpose for praying that they would abound in love is that they might grow in holiness. You cannot separate the two. You cannot grow in holiness without also growing in love. True holiness is never divorced from genuine, authentic love. And the reason why is because holiness is godliness, right? And God is love. And so when Paul speaks of holiness, he does not have this some type of a rigid, judgmental, ascetic holiness in mind. No, Paul envisions a healthy, robust holiness that is just overflowing and brimming with love for God and other people. And this is so important because Paul is just about to give them instructions about holiness. If you look at the next verse, chapter 4, verse 1, we're right there. Holiness. We'll look at that next week. And he wants to make sure they understand this connection between holiness and love. They go together. Paul prays that God will strengthen their hearts so that they will be blameless and holy in the presence of God the Father when Jesus returns. Paul is thinking of the coming judgment day. He's praying that God will strengthen the Thessalonians both for the present and the future, that they will remain unshaken by their trials in the present and that they will stand unshaken on the day of judgment when Jesus returns. This part of Paul's prayer anticipates something we'll also be seeing in chapters 4 and 5 where Paul fills in some of their doctrinal gaps on the return of Christ. That's some of the teaching we'll be doing in the coming weeks. Notice Paul speaks of Jesus coming with his holy ones on that day. And people sometimes ask, well, who are these holy ones? And some think it's the angels, because we read elsewhere that when Jesus comes, he'll come with the angels. Others say, well, maybe it's talking about the saints, the believers who've already died and gone to be with the Lord. Well, the Bible speaks of that as well. So which is it? I say both, okay? (laughs) His holy ones, his angels and his people. Christ will return. He returns to judge the earth and... Paul prays that God will strengthen his friends now so that they will be holy and blameless in God's presence then. So as we wrap all of this up, let me ask you a question this morning. What constitutes good news for you? What what excites you or motivates you? You know, beyond like my team won. Okay, that's good. I get excited when my team wins too. But but what, what excites you? What motivates you? It's been said that you can tell a lot about a person by what makes them laugh and by what makes them cry. And I believe you can also tell a lot about a person by what they consider good news. God will judge us one day according to what we have valued in life. And the spiritual growth of other people should rank high on our list of values. We should value this out of love for God and love for other people. We do it out of love for God. Love for God uh, demands that we seek his glory. God is most glorified when people grow in their faith in him. Love also seeks the best for others, and the best thing for other people 
is to grow in their faith. So spiritual growth, good for God, good for other people, good for believers. It's good news. Timothy's report was good news for Paul. It was a lifeline of hope for him. He was encouraged. He was filled with thanksgiving and joy. He was motivated to pray even even more for their growth. And in the same way, we should be greatly encouraged by believers' spiritual growth. We should be filled with thanksgiving and joy over believers' spiritual growth. And we should never stop praying for believers' spiritual growth. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for Paul's example. We thank you for his openness and sharing so freely with the Thessalonians all of the emotions that were going through him right then and there as, as Timothy had brought him the good news and he immediately sat down and started writing out this whole letter to them uh, in response. And Lord, I pray that the, the values that uh, Paul emulates here recorded in your word for us that, Lord, we we would emulate those values. Uh, That the spiritual growth of other people would be of utmost importance to us. That when we hear that of of others growing in their faith, Lord, that that would just be the best news in the world to us. And we'd be so encouraged and full of such thanksgiving and joy. And and, and then, Lord, we, we, we just continue praying. We all need to grow more. We just want to keep growing and growing to bring more and more glory to you and help to other people. So, Lord, help us with these things. Help us to grow in these areas, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.